She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hi guys, welcome to today's episode, and I'm so excited to introduce to you Dr. Amy Lee. She's the head of nutrition for Nucific, and today we're answering all of your questions about intermittent fasting. So let's start with the first one. Is intermittent fasting safe? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, I think in general, at least from my experience and seeing patients uh, who are into all types of different diets, intermittent fasting, uh, to my recommendation, is, is relatively safe. If you, uh, of course, follow the, uh, the things to do, what not to do, and what to do, of course. Okay, so why do you think intermittent fasting is so popular now? Like, you know, if we had like a craze where it was like, you know, South Beach diet, Atkins diet, it's kind of different things. But I think intermittent fasting is more popular than ever. And why do you think that is? I think in general, when people start looking into different types of diets and you, you'll be bombarded with all types on the internet, um, as time goes on and with a evolution of nutrition science and the more and more things that we know about macronutrients, what we can do with it, how we can manipulate uh, different different proportions to get it, get a diet to do what we want it to do, meaning either lose weight, maintain weight, or gain weight. Uh, we 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 start to learn, you know, the details of what these types of nutrients are actually doing for us. So there are now a lot more clinical data and research that has been done specifically looking into fasting states or, or even you know, a high fat state or high protein state. And so this is, it's, you know, intermittent fasting has been around for many, many years. It's, it's not like a new invention that we have in, you know, 2020. And so if anything, I think these things get sort of, um, reactivated into the mainstream of research and, and it allows us to do more uh, clinical data and human trials as well as animal trials to really come up with correlations between uh, what we do in a regimen and how that relates to disease states. And in most cases, I think a lot of people who are looking into intermittent fasting is really interested in weight management, but um, there's a whole handful of other benefits as well. So talk about some of those. Yeah, so some of the benefits of besides weight loss uh, really comes down to the idea of cellular and metabolic reactivation. What does that even mean? So it means that every cell in our body that has a functionality, it has a function and it does what it does every day for us. We are able to turn on and off pathways and even activate genes and DNA uh, that has sat dormant because of the way we live, the way we eat, the way we do things. Um, and we are able to actually activate those specific things uh, that otherwise wouldn't have been active by go undergoing a intermittent fasting state. So which is super important, you know, for uh, not just for a physician like myself who specialize in nutrition, but also in the whole nutrition world, this really opened up this whole world of possibilities on what we can do on a daily basis um, in eating differently or fasting, uh, which can alter 
alternate or at least change the way we metabolize uh, and burn calories or even take on calories that we eat on a daily basis. So one of the things that I talked about is this metabolic reactivation, uh, cellular health, rejuvenation and anti-aging is also another big deal, uh, as well as of course, weight management from cutting fat and fat tissue, which plays a huge role in our comorbid conditions and inflammation. Hey guys, I really want you to join our Intermittent Fasting and OMAD Facebook group. We're doing tons of giveaways right now for posting your before and after pictures and just for posting a question in there. We're giving away free protein shakes, some digest aid, all kinds of fun stuff. So please join our Intermittent Fasting and OMAD Facebook group. The link is in the show notes. So... I want you to give your credentials because it's really nice to have a board certified doctor answer some of these questions because I think a lot of times, obviously, I'm not a doctor. And so when I speak, I can speak from my own personal experience and I can also speak from thousands of women and men that I've seen have such great results. But I think sometimes people need to hear from a board certified physician that says, hey, you know, this is the answer to this. So talk a little bit more of what is happening, you know, scientifically when you fast. Give us some more things that are happening. Sure. Uh, To answer the first question, you know, my uh, credentials really comes down to the fact that I do practice internal medicine, that is my first specialty. Uh, what I did was during training, um, uh, actually I was training at USC, so undergoing internal medicine residency where everyone after med school is basically taught to practice what they learn from books, right? And so in the process of understanding that majority of the patients that I was seeing were dealing with your common condition states such as hypertension, diabetes, chronic pain, depression, anxiety. And what we're trained as conventional physicians is to, hey, here's a medication to uh, treat this diagnosis. And it got to a point where I realized, you know, there's a, there's a common denominator in most of my patients that I'm treating. And it all came down to the idea of lifestyle. You know, people are gaining weight. They were, uh, they were suffering from obesity. And so it really helped me sort of refocus my practice because I wanted to pivot in a way to actually do good and treat a disease state and, and hit it uh, at the foundation. So it, I started looking for programs you know, uh, around uh, LA and I got lucky and found this uh, program at UCLA uh, where I was able to um, accomplish or at least spend two years under a renowned um, physician in the nutrition department, ran clinical trials, and basically acquired a knowledge base in nutrition that was meant to train physicians like myself. Uh, so my credential now is, is I'm a medical obesity bariatrician as well as internal medicine plus a physician nutritionist. So I am triple board certified and I have been uh, focusing my whole career uh, in the past 12 years in the practice of nutrition. Uh, It's super exciting. I mean, the evolution of nutrition has gone uh, far and compared to 20 years ago, I think uh, nutrition therapy is still sort of viewed as snake oil and you don't call it that, where it's an alternative practice. 
we know what to do, but we are, as physicians, we're not really trained or equipped to carry out a therapy specifically, even for people with hypertension or cholesterol. Um, even though there is a nutrition therapy written somewhere in books and, and documented that we should implement lifestyle all the time as your first therapy, but it's just not a popular practice. Nowadays, more and more physicians are being more, are super aware of the fact that if we don't you know, uh, nip the problem at the butt, it's not going to uh, get any better. And the, um, I would say the prevalence of overweightness and obesity is not going away. And so we as physicians really need to have that extra training. And I'm super happy that I have that. Now, and with the evolution of nutrition science, and I talked about this in your first question, it's just this ongoing research is just exploding. You know, if you just even Google diet in itself, besides intermittent fasting, you probably are bombarded with 20 other regimens. But the question is, what is the right regimen for me? Because there isn't one thing that's right for everyone as well. So it does take a lot of um, sort of motivation on the consumer's part and also to your viewers, you know, to really sit down and understand uh, what's right for me. How do I even navigate through all that? And how do I even read a research paper? And am I supposed to be able to read a research paper on nutrition? Um, but the good thing is there are people like myself where we can interpret that stuff for you and basically make it as simplified as possible. Um, and so hopefully I am able to uh, offer that today. Okay, so our next question is, is it good or bad to exercise while intermittent fasting? And I will say before I let you answer this, that I personally work out six days a week. And every time I, I don't think I've ever worked out when I am in a fed state, like I'm always in a fasted state. And for me, I feel like I, it helps burn fat because obviously your body needs sugar or some sort of energy to perform well by, from exercising. And normally your energy comes from all that, you know, the sugar and glycogen that's stored right in your yeah. liver. Yeah. And, you know, in my mind, I'm constantly thinking, okay, this is great. I'm, you know, exercising, I'm depleting those stores and my body has no choice, but to, instead of burning through those sugars that aren't available, your body's forced to burn through another energy source, which is your fat. So that's mm -hmm. kind of what I always say to myself. But the, the interesting thing is, I have, I think because I'm so used to, uh, like one day my trainer, I always work out in the morning, but my trainer's like, Hey, I can't work out in the morning today. So I usually work out at 5am, 6am, something like that. And he was like, can we please move to the afternoon? I have a conflict this morning. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I had just finished lunch and I think it was like a two o'clock appointment. I'm, he looked at me like, what is wrong with you? So I had, had eaten and I was in a worse position. Like he's like, you are like good for nothing today, Chantel. And I'm thinking to myself, you're right. Like I, it just kind of dawned on me, like, what was the difference One, it was a different time? My body wasn't used to it, but it was a big difference. And for me personally, I had a really hard time actually working out. Cause I think I'm so used to working out in a fasted state. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's actually a great uh, point. And, you know, there's definitely a, a handful of people who prefer to work out in the morning. 
versus in the afternoon. Um, and I, I know my patients have, it's all types. So, you know, what you're describing, uh, you're like a morning person almost, you know, you probably thrive and work optimally in the morning hours, just even mentally, not just physically, but psychologically, you know, you wake up, you perk up, you're ready to go. Whereas some people just can't even get out of bed, right? And so when it comes to exercise, which is interesting, it really depends on how you, uh, what you're used to uh, in the first place. You can train your body into being super efficient in the morning versus in the afternoon. It just depends on your habits. Now, in your case, you woke up, you have gone through a fasting state all night, right? It also means that your liver, like you said, have, have the stored glycogen. And then it's also, there are an amount of sugar uh, in glycogen form that is sitting in your muscles as well. So the first thing you do, you wake up and you go to the gym. And basically what you're doing, you're doing, you're going, the first thing you're going to end up doing is depleting all the glycogen in your stored compartments. Then your body will kick into what we call gluconeogenesis, where your body will start making sugar. Now, this is super important to also realize, and a lot of my patients actually probably don't even realize this, is that during a duration of exercise, it takes your body about 20 to 30 minutes to deplete all your storage. So psychologically, a, as a person at the gym, you can psychologically have a factor where once your sugar starts depleting, you get into what we call this exercise depression. This is for like the turning point. It'll either keep you on a treadmill or you'll actually get off the treadmill and go take a shower and leave. And most people don't know this. If you actually power through those maybe five to 10 more minutes of what we call exercise depression, your body starts making sugar again. Like I said, gluconeogenesis. Then it starts serving your brain and then you start getting that euphoric high of exercise. So as long as you get over that hump, you're good. Now, this is all happening in the morning hours for you. In the afternoon, your body is very different. We go through this circadian rhythm of insulin, no insulin, insulin, no insulin, and it actually is affected by the foods that we eat. In your case, where in the afternoon, when you have food in the stomach, most will go through this thing called um, a food coma, right? And food coma is just a layman's term of saying, well, basically all the blood flow from the brain is now in the stomach, trying to sort of process and metabolize. And so for some people that dip in the blood sugar, and at least the circulation causes that kind of fatigue and tire sensation as well. So what you eat in the afternoon also plays a huge role in your motivation, um, as well as the amount that you eat as well. Because as long as you got something in the stomach, your body will try to metabolize and get rid of it first. And so then all of a sudden, you your blood sugar from your brain, as well as your muscles are depleted and at least recirculating in the stomach, trying to metabolize that. So a lot of people like you, like you can't really exercise in the afternoon for that very reason, because they're just tired and kind of bogged down. And also remember the many hours of sort of psychological stress or things that you have taken on becomes a distraction in your brain. So that motivation to exercise in the afternoon also becomes a little bit different compared to the fact that you woke up feeling great, in a fasting state um, and being able to power through it in the morning. So I hope that makes sense for you. Yeah, absolutely. 
Hey guys, I'd love for you guys to listen to a podcast that we did about the side effects from wine and the differences between natural wine and traditional wine. So go to chantelrayway.com slash wine and you'll see transcripts, you'll see some different episodes, but here's the thing. You can get your penny bottle now of dry farm wines and make the decision that if you're gonna have wine to make sure you have the most natural, healthy wine in the world with no added additives, only natural ingredients. All the other wines out there have so much sulfate, so much sugar. Why put that poison in your body? So get your penny bottle now at chantelrayway.com slash wine. So here's another question. Why do I feel so emotional during my fast? I feel like I might be able to cry more when I'm fasting than not in a fasted state. Sure. Um, that's a, that's a great, great question. Um, some people get emotional, meaning they, uh, become a little bit sad, a little bit anxious. Uh, and some people actually get into this euphoric state. And I have patients to describe where, when they're in ketosis or in a state of fat burn, even from a caloric, caloric, uh, restriction versus intermittent fast, uh, they get into this kind of like zone where they're super motivated and their appetite actually is naturally suppressed. Uh, and that's actually the normal human behavior. After a duration of time of fasting, your body will adapt, it'll kick in, and then you go into uh, appetite suppression. The other portion of folks uh, actually could feel more anxious uh, and depressed because of this intermittent fasting state. Uh, and it could be from many reasons. It could be hormonal disruption, um, depending on your age. Some people may be in the cusp of changing hormones as a female, like perimenopause, menopause, and whatnot. Um, also, this the distraction of everyday life, right? Food, a lot of times, is a very social, it's a place of social aspect in our life. It's a component of what makes us us. And every day when you use food or at least use idea of food to dictate kind of how you operate on a normal day, that change in general, meaning not eating, uh, could actually affect you negatively. So some of my clients who go through a seven day fast, for example, we have a little cleanse kit at my company where um, they have to just basically drink liquids, uh, low calorie, low protein, low fat regimen for seven solid days, they usually get in this kind of anxiety, depression mode, day two, day three into it. And, you know, even though they're on point, they're actually losing weight. Uh, psychologically, they are now realizing that how dependent they are on food and how it sort of makes an impact in their social life and how it, you know, not just with friends, but also with families and how their life kind of uh, depend is dependent on it. That could also play a huge role. So there's many factors. And I think that's one of those things where if you understand all the potential impact on you as an individual, then it just makes it a bit easier to tolerate. And this is learned behavior as well. You know, it's not going to stay. A lot of times it these symptoms of depression and anxiety doesn't stay for very long. You do have to get over that hump. And that's also part of the whole psychology in dieting in general, because we are holding back on something that we're so used to. And it just happens to be, you know, carbohydrates or proteins and fats. And so it is very telling because it really does kind of tease out many different personalities um, in a population. 
Yeah, and and food releases the feel good hormone feel good hormone in your brain, which is dopamine, right? And so a lot of people say, okay, well, if I'm eating, I'm now getting that dopamine. And and there was just a recent study that I read. It was from, I think it was like somewhere in Germany, it was like the metabolism research in Germany. And they said that dopamine is released in your brain actually at two different times. The first is when you first ingest the food. So like at your first bite of something really tasty, you get a dopamine release. And then another one is when the food actually reaches the stomach. And so if you're not eating and you've been using food as a way to relieve stress. And so what happens is, is you actually, when you're not eating, you're giving your yourself the, the ability to, instead of, ma it's almost like an alcoholic, right? So if you, every time you're sad, you go up, oh, I'm going to have some alcohol. I'm now masking the issue of whatever's really going on. Or if I'm using food to go up, I'm really sad, but now I'm going to have this brownie. Now I'm going to mask that sadness. And I think it's, I think that's a big part of it is that you're not using that food to, to mask that issue anymore. You're having to actually deal with the issue at hand of why you actually are sad. So that's one of the biggest reasons why you're all so emotional during your fast. Would you agree? Oh, totally. Totally. I think food in general uh, serves that purpose for a lot of people. You know, besides the three meals that we do eat in a day, which is oftentimes pretty sufficient, you know, and breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But yeah, there's those snacks or in between meals where we find um, necessary. You know, uh, my, I, I come across a lot of people who feels this need to do the whole mid-afternoon, you know, snack run, you know, go to Starbucks and grab, you know, scone or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's like a daily occurrence or having half a pint of ice cream just before bed because they're watching TV by themselves in bed and it's cozy. They remember that when they actually go to the fridge and grab that pint of ice cream, and take a couple bite of whatever ice cream they they have. It just increases that dopamine effect. It's a feel good hormone, right? And you know, sugar in itself to me is it is a drug. You know, it, it is probably as bad as cocaine, but yet it's not something that we can control because it's not illegal, and we have to eat three times a day. So it's a question of how is sugar serving you as a, as a person? And if you find yourself kind of having that addiction uh, towards this specific food group, you know, I never really met, I never met anyone with addiction to spinach, but it's always, you know, sugar and high fat foods. And so if you, you know, anyone in your audience right now, if you find yourself picking and choosing specifically on very high caloric dense foods, such as the carbs and fat, then likely, you have already built tolerance in your brain and we have receptors that recognizes obviously everything that we eat. Uh, but at the same time, these receptors also have short-term memory. And so it always goes back to what we know. Whatever that made us feel good, we'll go back for. And so just like you said, it is very addictive and people just find themselves being, you know, they, they want to feel good all the time. So it's pretty dangerous and it could be obviously uh, dangerous to your health um, in the long run when you find yourself going down that path. And what would you say are the top five tips of the best way to manage hunger while you're fasting? And how do you make it easier if you're trying to do a longer fast? Sure. Um, I would say number one would be commitment. Uh, figuring out a reason why you're doing what you're doing. 
You know, oftentimes when you set a goal or have at least a reason for what you are trying to achieve, you can always go back to remind yourself. And even if it's writing it down in your journal saying, hey, you know, on this Monday, I'm going to start this for the next three weeks. And and you may even write down the self-sabotage behavior that you may allow yourself to go through. Uh, what are the dis- distractions in life as well? Just to sort of uh, write it all out and visualize it. Um, then setting the goal actually would make your journey a little bit easier. And holding yourself accountable, obviously, is part of why you wanna write anything down. Um, number two, when you do, uh, make sure you are picking a regimen that is right for your lifestyle. It, and there are different uh, variations of the intermittent fast, for example, uh, out in the medical community. But if one doesn't work for you, then you can't just keep forcing yourself to do it because it becomes this negative reinforcement for you. So pick a regimen that is right for your lifestyle. Three, once you start, make sure you drink lots of fluids. And we forget this. I mean, in even in intermittent fast, it doesn't mean uh, total starvation. It means for you know big portion of the day, you're not putting in fuel, but you can drink water. And so make sure you do hydrate well, because oftentimes, you know, your volume of your body, meaning the uh, indicator of like blood pressure, could very well change because you stop eating food in general. And so uh, hydration is super important because the last thing you need is becoming dehydrated and then getting some of the side effects of dehydration. The worst case scenario with you passing out and hitting your head, um, and that's not great while you're fasting. Um, Number four, is really uh, understanding what you're going to eat when you start eating. You know, the little short window of time that you are capable of eating. I'm not just saying like, go do a drive through and then acquire 3000 calories that you didn't eat all day. Uh, a lot of the the uh, folks that are intermittent fasting have a really tight regimen as well. And in the little short window of time, you better be eating the high quality macronutrients and micros and even your vitamins and whatnot. So it it, it does take a little uh, thinking to create these types of regimen, basically ready to go when you are eating. And five, be open and understand what your body is doing when you're undergoing the fast, right? And if you feel like you're, you know, you're just constantly getting headaches or side effects of uh, a fasting state, then it's time you stop. Even if you were seeing like great weight loss, for example, because sometimes you want to make sure the benefit outweighs the risk, and you don't want to be uh, suffering from any adverse reactions from a good fast. Hey guys, I'm so excited. My new book, One Meal and a Tasting, is out now. And if you order the book on Amazon, just the regular paperback edition, if you go in and make a review, you will get the audio book for free. Send a copy of your receipt to questions at chantalrayway.com and you'll get the audio book right away. Yeah, and and I will give a couple of tricks for for me, I would say the biggest one for me is if I'm trying to do a longer fast, I do just first say, okay, let me have either a cup of black coffee with, you know, no cream or milk or sugar, or I'll have like a cup of green tea or a cup of green tea and hibiscus. Um, because green tea really, really helps me. I don't know exactly 
why it does help me, but I know that I've read that green tea can kind of help decrease the hormone responsible for hunger and for hunger called ghrelin. And for me, you know, just steeping some green tea um, and I do it with a little hibiscus. It makes a really big difference. Um, sometimes I'll just drink some really great water, Fiji water. I know it's expensive, but it's one of the waters that it has so much hydration for me. I feel a lot different when I have that water and it's supposed to like get some of the metals out of your system. So that's another one. And then I'll do like an organic kind of carbonated water sometimes because if it's plain water, not sweetened with any kind of anything, but something about the sparkles in the carbonated water really kind of helps me it makes you feel faster, a full, like even though you're just having water, but I guess that it has that carbon dioxide and sure. it just kind of makes you feel full, even if you're not really. Um, and sometimes this, I hate apple cider vinegar, but every once in a while, if I'm trying to do a longer fast, I'll just take like a tablespoon of that. And I'm just like, it's so disgusting. I'll kind of go back to that. But I like what you said about your mindset, you know, of really kind of saying, okay, your, your mindset is the most powerful organ that you have. And so just, you know, sometimes you think you're hungry. And so for me, I have to really kind of process like, what am I feeling right now and start looking at what my, what my goals are. And then the the number one thing that I can do is to distract myself. But if I'm going to distract myself, that then right after that, it's it's walking. Because if I go on a walk, it, it could be a half mile walk, it could be a one mile walk, it could be a three mile walk. But the second I walk, it really gets me to the. It can take me another two hours, and yeah. then you know to kind of take it to the next level. Yeah. And walking is great. And even just during COVID, a lot of people are sort of stuck in their homes and it really disrupts their, you know, exercise schedule and their normal everyday life from going to work, come back from work. And now you're stuck in your living room, almost like this place. And then your kitchen is just an arm stretch away. Right. And so walking itself is great because you're probably just, you're optimizing or you're benefiting from the whole visual, uh, visual, um, distraction. So the fact is you're out and about, all of a sudden you just forget about the fact that you are hungry. And it, you know, and that's sometimes it's all you need is just that quick little distraction. So you focus on something else besides the fact. Um, and then of course, hunger pangs and cravings and whatnot. Um, you know, we have to understand that you're either hungry because your body's feeling deficiency in nutrients and minerals and whatnot versus Hung, uh, versus just desires and cravings, which is very psychological. You know, even the distraction of seeing a quick little commercial or taking a, a whiff in the parking lot at McDonald's, for example, could set someone down that path of cravings when in reality, your body doesn't need it at all. And so being able to separate these two hunger pangs for actual survival versus just distraction and, um, you know, seeing an ad and whatnot is very different. So you can bounce into craving as well as getting out of craving really quickly just by the uh, fact that you can distract yourself, just like you said. So that's a great point. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you are just really an expert here. It's been such a pleasure having you on this show. Thank you so much for being here. Tell listeners where they can find you, where they can follow you, and tell us a little bit about Nucific. Perfect. Yeah. So I am the head of nutrition uh, for Nutrific, which is an online nutrition supplement company. We've been around for um, six years that I've been with them. So uh, you can definitely look me up on their website at www.nucific.com. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok uh, under my name, Dr. Amy underscore Lee. Um, for more content and information. So I like to do a lot of these posts on diets and ingredients and all the lifestyle stuff. So hopefully we will connect there. Awesome. Well, you guys stay tuned. We've got another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.